We are wrapping up our series, Love Dates and Heartbreaks, today. And if you've missed the first five parts of this, I would really encourage you to go back and watch it. We've heard so much response about how helpful it has been. Because we have talked about love for the first couple weeks. Swoop back up. Love the first couple weeks. We talked about dates and the five rules of dating. But today we're going to talk about this challenging thought and experience and emotion called heartbreaks. Because we all know heartbreaks is part of our lives, and maybe you're here, and you came because you heard we're talking about heartbreaks, or somebody invited you, and you're in the middle of it. Or maybe you're going to face a heartbreak in the future, and we want you to know that there is a way through heartbreaks. But today, I just want to warn you, I'm not going to try and give you some cheap Christian lines or some promises that may or may not come true if you pray them or the right way or don't, because that stuff doesn't help, and it disenfranchises franchise us, I can't say that, but I want to help us figure out a way through what do we do with heartbreak in our lives. And there's two takeaways I want us all to walk out of here with. And the first is simply this, that a broken heart doesn't mean you're broken. And this is the conclusion we come to sometimes. Our heart breaks over a relationship, over a marriage. Maybe it's something that has nothing to do with relationships, but it feels like things are so broken that we're broken beyond repair. And I want you to know that there's a way back from a broken heart. And the second thing I hope you hold on to is that there is a purpose for you and I even when your dreams can't come true. Because you know this, there's seasons we recognize our dreams are not coming true like we wanted them to. And then there's seasons we recognize our dreams can't come true. And I want you to know there is purpose for your life in the middle of that. And I don't want you to lose your life because of it. Now, I just want you to know, next week, we're going to do a one-off message, and I'm going to talk to you about a few of my broken dreams that I've experienced in my life. I'm going to tell you my story next week, and it's going to help you understand kind of the DNA of our church, the DNA of me, and why some things really matter, and I can't wait to share that with you, although I promise you it might overwhelm you because I know it will overwhelm me. Because we've all experienced these heartbreaks, right? 100% of us had some kind of plan in life. And our plans looked like this, possibly. I wanted to graduate by, be married by, start a business by, have children by, and retire by. And some of those things don't come true. Maybe you feel like none of those things come true. Here's what we know when it comes to relationships. No one envisions their future alone. When you come into your adult life, when I came into my adult life, we had dreams of our future. And some of them maybe we experienced and they were true, they came true, those dreams did, and then something happened, they became untrue, and he left or she left. And some aren't working out and some won't work out because you know this, there's seasons of life that once you get on the other seasons of life, there's some things that just are not going to happen when you get past a certain point. And sometimes we're part of the problem because we've made decisions that undermine our own direction in life and our own happiness. But for some of us, maybe you feel this way. Some of us, you would say, man, I went by the book, Matt. I went and did the things I was supposed to do. And the relationship I always wanted never happened. I got a promise from him or I got a vow from her once upon a time and then I got a text or I got a letter that said the promise is broken and the vow is over. But you played by the book. You did what you were supposed to do or what somebody told you to do, but she didn't play by the book or he didn't play by the book. Maybe he called you up and he said, hey, I just want to be friends. But he wanted to be way more than friends a month ago. But now he just wants to be friends. Or 
you discover that she, she just wants a different narrative for life, and you're not included in her narrative. And in spite of the vows, in spite of the commitments made, now she wants a different narrative, narrative and it leaves us heartbroken. And maybe for you, you're thinking, man, my second marriage is starting to feel like my first marriage, and I'm going in a predictable direction. And when I say that for some of you, that your second marriage is feeling like your first marriage, some of you might say, Se- second marriage? I just want a shot at a first marriage. I just want to find love the first time around, and it's not happening to me. And it's not fair. And if I get invited to another friend's second wedding, I am going to lose my mind because my dreams are coming true for her, but they're not coming true for me. And here is the tough thing, is when you look around and it feels like everybody else's dreams are coming true. And we don't say this to anybody, but we feel it, and they're far less deserving than me because I behaved. I did what is right. I actually waited. I actually listened to Matt or Andy or whoever, my mama, and I waited, and now my dreams are not coming true. And then you look around and you may come to this place. They're actually living my dreams. They're actually doing what I wanted to do. And now it's brought more heartbreak into your life and my life and where there's more discouragement than we've ever felt. And there's some tough questions that come with that. Like why? And where's God? And I thought it was all supposed to work out a certain way. And you need to know this today. There's not going to be any emotionally satisfying answers to heartbreak. Or broken dreams. There's nothing I'm going to say that you're going to walk out of here and go, all is well, I'm totally fine and satisfied. Because when you're wrestling with broken dreams and faith, it is a challenge. But I want you to know something. That the men and women who shaped Western civilization, that brought us Jesus, their dreams didn't all come true either. And the men and women that brought us the gospel and the story of Jesus and had so much joy, their dreams were broken and their hearts were broken over and over again. And in the middle of that, they came to the realization that they were not cursed. This is a hard thing maybe for you to believe. Instead, they were blessed. They were not broken. In the middle of their heartbreak, they were chosen for something incredible and something beautiful. And they didn't choose the hand they were dealt, but they chose to trust the hand that dealt them the life they were in the middle of. And they chose, I'm not going to compare to what God is doing in her life and his life. They chose to say, God, I'm going to remain open-handed with my life. And I don't understand what you're doing. And my heart's breaking. And I thought it was going to work out this way. And it's not. But I'm going to choose God to trust you. Let me give you an example of a person who did that well. It was Mary. Jesus' own mama. She's this girl that loved God, and all of a sudden she finds herself pregnant. In the worst possible way to be a young Jewish girl, unmarried and pregnant, he's like, what in the world, God, are you doing? But I'm going to trust you. And through her, the Savior of the world was brought to the world. And then later on in her life, she watched her son be crucified on a cross. No idea what God was doing. Brokenhearted in a way that I cannot imagine. God, I'm going to trust you. And she got to be part of seeing the Savior of the world, her son, come back to life. It's an amazing example of that. I'm not cursed, I'm blessed. I'm not broken, I'm chosen for something special. John the Baptist, the one that went before Jesus to declare the way of the Lord. 
a voice calling in the wilderness, did what he was supposed to do. He did what was right, and he finds himself in jail, questioning, is God still who God is? Because that's a question we all ask, but he decided to trust in what Jesus was doing and who he was. Loses his head, but prepares the way for the Lord because he trusted in God, Jesus himself. I mean, think about this. Jesus, the best possible person that's ever walked the face of the earth, faced the worst possible thing and staring towards the cross, staring towards his crucifixion. He asks his own father, tells his own father, yet not my will, but yours be done. I'm gonna remain open-handed, Father. I don't wanna do it. I don't even have to do it, but I'm gonna follow you and I'm gonna trust you with my life. And here's why this is so important. When you have broken dreams, and when I have broken dreams, and we have broken hearts, we have a tendency to let fear and panic drive our decisions. And we in those moments have a tendency to trade what we value for things that we don't value. And in those moments, and you've experienced this maybe, because I know I have, we'll, see, we'll say yes to anyone, and we'll say yes to anything. Loneliness alone. Despair alone, pain alone will make us say yes to things we never would have said yes to. And at the end, we regret it. And you've seen this, and maybe you've experienced that when you have broken hearts and broken dreams, there's a, there's a tendency for us to let our desperation lead to greater desperation and despair. That our pain leads to greater mess and greater darkness because of the choices we make. But here's the cool thing. This is the amazing thing. Some of us, maybe all of us, have seen the other side of this. We've seen the most remarkable people, and you know some, that their dreams didn't come true. They lost jobs. They lost marriages. They lost children. You've seen this. And they decide to say, God, I do not understand what in the hell you're doing. But I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to decide to refuse cynicism, I'm going to refuse bitterness, and I'm going to refuse labels. And I'm not going to get labeled as in the corner of an angry, unforgiving person. I'm going to follow you. They resisted something that every one of us that are religious people, maybe if we're not religious people, have in us. Because in all of us, maybe you've never thought about this, there's a little bit of the prosperity gospel in all of us. All of us. And here's what the prosperity gospel is. God, I'm going to give you one, you give me ten every time. God, I'm going to do something for you, I expect you to do something for me. God, since I did, you must. There's a little bit of that in all of us. I'm going to trade some good stuff, I'm going to cash in some coins, I'm going to be a good dad, a good husband, a good person, and then God, I expect you to do all these things. Because that's how life works in other er every other area of life. And if you were raised with this kind of Christianity or this kind of faith, that God, I'm going to give you a little bit, so you've got to give me a lot, it is so easy to walk away from that kind of faith. Because there's going to be times in all of our lives where it feels like God is not paying attention and not returning on the investment I'm putting towards his direction. And that's easily to walk away with because God does not feel like He's coming through. Here's what you need to know, especially if you're new to faith. That's not the original version of our faith. Because that kind of faith is easy to leave. Because good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And we've all seen it. And in those moments, we're tempted to say, our Heavenly Father is not fair. And we're walking away. 
And I would just remind you, at the center of our faith, the center of what we believe was the best person who experienced the worst thing imaginable, the best godly person who never sinned and loved everybody, gave his life for us. He experienced something worse than anyone had ever experienced. And Jesus, when he came, Jesus did not offer us an equation. It wasn't a one plus one equals two. You do this and God does this. Instead, what Jesus offered was an invitation. And the invitation was lose your life and find life in something bigger and better. And then he modeled this for us because he lost his life and then he picked his life back up again for you and for me. And then he simply said, follow me because where we go will be life and it will be adventure and you'll experience something you could never get out of your bargaining with God. But until you stop bargaining with God, you'll miss life. This would be the message of the first church, and, uh, of the first century church, and of Jesus and his followers. It would be follow me because of who I am and what I've already done. Not what I'm going to do, what I've already done. And that was give everything I have for you. And the most remarkable people in the world that we know, they do this. There's no bargaining. There's no, hey, I'm going to do so God will do something in my future. It's God, you've done something already, and I'm going to hang on to this. Now, this is what's a big deal this morning, especially in the, if you're in the middle of heartbreak. This is where the whole bargaining chip stops when we decide to follow Jesus. And it's where peace is found. It's where striving and trying to get your way and manipulating stop. And peace comes into our life. And a person we see this so well in, in the Old Testament, in the ancient Hebrew scriptures, is a man named David. You may know him as King David. And he learned this whole idea the hard way. We read something that he says in his 60s. He's an, he's an older man. And it only makes sense when you know the context of his story. So let me just give you the quick context of David's story. Maybe some of you already know this. When David was a boy, he was a approached by the prophet Samuel, and Samuel said, David, you are going to be the king of Israel. It was awesome. The problem was there already was a king. It was King Saul. And so David just goes back to being a shepherd boy with this word over him that he was going to be a king. And until one day he hear, hears his brothers are in this battle against the Philistines. You know this story. And they're facing Goliath, this giant expert warrior. And David decides, I'm going to march out on the battlefield. I'm going to take a rock and a sling. And he flings that rock through the air, but it's guided by God's mighty right hand. And he slays the giant. And at this point, David is on top of the world. He's a folk hero. He's a legend. In a moment, he becomes something extraordinary. And then King Saul decides, this is such a remarkable young man. I'm going to let him marry my daughter bring him into my household until Saul, the king, current king, says, wait a minute, we got a problem. The people like David more than they like me. And I want my son Jonathan to be the next king, not David. And Saul loses his mind. And in a moment, he turns on David and commits to killing him because of jealousy and anger and fear and outrage. And David flees and in a moment, he comes from folk hero and legend to his future just goes dark. He's alone. He's abandoned. His dreams all of a sudden are not coming true, and he's brokenhearted, and he panics. Now, I'll just pause for a minute. Have you ever been in that place? 
where all you're seeing is darkness and all you can feel is panic. And then you start to do weird things to make your life maybe even worse. So what David does, he goes to a little village that's called Nob, where there's a priest called Hamilahek. And he makes up this story. And the story is this, hey, I'm here on the king's business. I had to leave in a really quick hurry, and so I'm showing up all by myself. And he walks into this little village with this priest Hamilahek, and he says, hey, hey, do you have a spear or a sword here? Which is a weird question to ask, because this was David the warrior. He always had a spear, and he always had 100 men with him, and he was always ready for battle, but now he's got nothing, including food. I haven't brought my sword, which is strange, or any other weapon, because the king's mission was urgent. And what David is doing in this moment, in his panic and fear, is he's lying. And Hamilton knows this because, listen, David, what do you mean? How could this even be right? This is not who you are. But David is so convincing in his lie, he convinces this priest to do what he says. And so what happens next is so dramatic. And there's really only one sword to be found in this little village. And it's hard to overstate the drama in this next statement if you were a Jewish person thousands of years ago. David said... The priest replied, sorry, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed, David, remember that? In the valley of Elah is here. Remember, David, when you slayed that mighty giant? Well, we picked up his sword and we brought it here, and it is a visual for us. It is a visual that every time we look at that sword, we remember God's faithfulness. Because no one could have killed that giant, especially a little boy. And it reminds us that God is faithful, that God's promises come true, that you can trust God even when life doesn't make sense. David, we've got a sword. It should be the reminder of how God takes care of you. David, do you believe God's taking care of you right now? Because once upon a time, you saw God take care of you like no one else. But in the moment, David is not looking back on God's faithfulness. He's just looking forward in the darkness and the fear and the panic. And I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Here's this incredible reminder of God's faithfulness in the sword. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. And here's the interesting part. Instead of Goliath's sword protecting David... It robbed the priest Hamilahek's life from him because Saul found out that this priest aided David in his journey and Saul's anger went ballistic and he had uh, the priest cut down and the other priests of the village and it got worse than that. They cut down their wives, they cut down their children, they slayed everybody that was connected to what Hamilahek did for David and David finds out and he is broken hearted. Because his lie led to the destruction of other people. Have you ever done something in your life in a panic moment or a dark moment that didn't just hurt you, but it hurt everyone around you? I mean, so many of us could tell that story. And David, he's just a mess. Well, David goes on from that moment and he becomes king. And this is kind of depressing, so hang on. But this is kind of the story of many of our lives. He becomes king, but in the middle of being a king, he's a terrible father. 
He commits adultery and he takes another man's wife, Bathsheba. You know this story possibly. And he kills her husband because he just wanted what he wanted to satisfy his hopes and dreams. He has a son named Absalom. And Absalom is his favorite son. He loves Absalom. But Absalom turns on David too because Absalom's sister was raped and David would not avenge it or address the raping of his sister. So for years this goes on. You should go home and read the story of David. I mean, it's an incredible story. Well, Absalom, David's son, for years decides, I despise my father. And one day, Absalom takes matters into his own hands, and he just decides, I'm declaring myself king, and I'm going to raise up my own armies, and we're going to march on the capital city, and we're going to take back the kingdom from my father. But by this time, David's an old man, and he's starting to understand, I cannot manipulate, and I cannot control everything, and I've messed things up so many times in my life, I'm not going to continue on, so I'm just going to leave the capital city. I'm going to leave my kingdom, because I don't want to continue the bloodshed and the pain and the mess. I've done too much already. And so he does. And this is what we're told in 2 Samuel that the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. So just think about this. David is exiting his kingdom. He's giving up everything, and the people are desperate because they wondered, how's this going to work out, and how's this going to come to the right end? And you know this. When you see things in our world that aren't right, you can have despair. Maybe you're watching the news you know, in this moment or the last season or the season before that or the news five years from now and the future behind us. And you can look at everything and think, all is lost. And we can forget that God actually is in control of this world. What's going to happen? How is this going to work out? Well, we're told the king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved, toward, moved on towards the wilderness It's so fascinating that this wilderness is the same wilderness that David had fleed as a younger man. And I think if all of us have faced that in some way, excuse me, where we feel like we're back in the wilderness that we were when we were younger. Like, how did I get back here again? How did I end up in this place and I don't have answers and I've kind of messed things up even more? I don't know how this is going to work out. And everyone at this moment had abandoned David. And there he is again by himself. He's lost two sons. He's about to lose a third son. And the one he loves most has turned on him. This is so fascinating because we're told this, that Zadok was there too. And all the Levites who were with him. And Zadok and the Levites, they were the priests that took care of all the religious artifacts and all the religious part of the Jewish people's lives. So they're there in the middle of this. And they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. It's so interesting. Like on the way out of the city, the priests look around and they go, you know what, we're leaving and we're following David. Somebody grab the Ark. And the Ark is the thing that can contain the Ten Commandments and some other religious relics. But the most important thing about the ark is it represented God's presence. If you have the ark with you, it means God's with you. If you have the box with you, it means God is following you. It was a visual for people that if you had the ark, it simply meant that God was on our side and these priests had snatched it up and decided we're taking it with us. Think about this. They've decided to manipulate the outcome by taking a box that represented God. But David knew better. He had tried to manipulate things his whole life and control his own hopes and dreams, to try and control his own heartbreaks, and he is done 
controlling. As a young man, he just piled on his life more heartbreak by his own decisions. And this time, he's not going to take another man's life like he did with Bathsheba. And he's not going to take matters in his own hands and lie like he did with Goliath's sword. And he's not going to face more humiliation. There's just no more. He's done. We're told this. Then the king, David, said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. No more negotiation with the God of all creation. Take the ark back. And what is said next is for David. But I think what is said next is for you in the room and you online. And I know it's for me. But it takes almost all the courage I have in the world to accept it. Because in the middle of incredible heartache and despair, this is what David said. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back. And he will let me see it and his dwelling place again. I am stopping all negotiation with the God of all creation. No more manipulation. No more control. I'm not going to try and make things happen. I'm done with that. If it's God's will for me to come back to the city and be part of you know, the presence of God, then God will do that. I am trusting him. I'm so surprised by these events that are happening. But God is not. And then he says this. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. In other words, David's like, I brought this on myself. I'm owning it. But the next statement is so overwhelmingly amazing to me. He said, I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Do you know that if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what we're invited to? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I can understand why this would feel like you got to be out of your mind to trust someone beside yourself with this. But this is what we've been invited to because this is what Mary was invited to when she watched her son hang on a cross. God, I have no idea why you're doing this, but I'm going to trust you. It's what John the Baptist decided, I'm going to give my entire life on this earth for what God's doing. I'm going to trust God with it. It's what Peter decided when he was crucified upside down for his Savior. It's what the Apostle Paul decided. I am following the joy of the Lord even when it doesn't feel like. It's very joyful. I will rest in the Father's hands and I will leave the rest in the Father's hands. God, I can fight and I can strive and I can try and handle it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to rest in your hands because I believe you got the the rest. God, this has been an interruption to my plans. This is not an interruption in your plans. Your will be done. And Zadok, he's just shocked because David's going to leave the ark behind. The king, the king also said to Zadok, the priest, do you understand what he didn't understand? And for much of my life, I've not understood. But there's been some events that have just pressed me to a place where like, okay, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust. Go back to the city with my blessing. And it's blank stares amongst these priests because they know they've got a tool to use. And so we're told, Zadok and Abathar, they took the ark of God and they went back to Jerusalem. And they stayed there. But David... In the midst of all that, he continued at the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. And you got to pause here for a minute. Because in no way does trusting God and what God is doing means we're not brokenhearted. 
This no way doesn't mean, you know, we don't pour our hearts out and cry out and ask why. David is literally walking up this mountain and he's sobbing because of his broken heart, the loss of his sons, his dreams, his plans, his dignity, his authority. Do you know how embarrassed he must have been? But somehow he'd not lost confidence in God. His head was covered and he was barefoot. And in this moment, This is what's remarkable about David after all these years of missing it, which means for all of us, no matter where you are, it's not too late. In his 60s, David, he didn't abandon God when it appeared that God had abandoned him. Now, here's what I want you to know. I don't believe God ever abandons us, but there are moments in our lives it appears God abandons us. And in those moments where we are tempted to panic and we're trying to control and we take our matters into our own hands, but in this moment, for the first time maybe in David's life, he did not reach for Goliath's sword this time. He did not try and manipulate his own outcome. And he didn't anchor his faith in the fulfillment of his dreams. Like, here's my faith, God, and my faith is connected to my dreams. And when my dreams come true, my faith is stronger. That is not how David lived his life at this point. His faith was in God. And God, even when I don't understand, I am trusting you. And this is what we've all been invited to. David and Mary, John the Baptist. This is what people have been invited to when they, they lose their marriage, when they lose their future marriage. This is what people are invited to when they're faced with cancer and they can't imagine they have cancer and it looks so bleak and God says, I'm inviting you to trust me and lose your life for me because in me you will find life. But what if I don't live? It's okay, there's life in me forever. I've known people that love lost children and they were as brokenhearted as anyone I've ever known yet they decided God is still in the middle of this and he's holding my child in his hands. People that lose businesses and careers and future businesses and careers. God, I'm going to just, I'm going to be open-handed to you. And my dreams have not come true, but I believe you're still dreaming for me. It's this powerful prayer that we just simply say to God, do to me, just like David, whatever seems good to you. No more bargaining. No more negotiating. I'm trusting I'm not saying that's easy. I'm just saying it's a powerful place to be in the kingdom of God. When you and I are able to say to God, you know my desires. And God actually says, bring me your desires. Bring me your pain. Bring me your joy. Bring me everything you've got. But I acknowledge, God, you have a right to rule my life because you're God and I'm not. My heart is broken. My dreams aren't coming true. But God, I'm trusting you and there is purpose for my life. And the men and women that brought us the story of Jesus lived their lives through their pain and agony in a way that was full of joy and hope and purpose because they trusted God. And they would remain faithful no matter what. And here's what I'm trusting and believing. On the other side of eternity, they're glad they did. On the other side of eternity, they're looking back and they're realizing, listen, we could have made our lives infinitely worse, but God brought us through and it is infinitely better because they had remained faithful because of what had already happened, not what was going to happen. What had already happened is God became flesh and he dwelt among us. 
that gave his life on the cross. And the best possible person to ever walk the face of the earth faced the worst possible thing a human could face. And men and women have decided to trust in that for thousands of years. And the outcome has been the best choice of their lives. And here's what I would tell you. If you're in the middle of heartbreak or your dreams can't come true, if you wandered in today or you flipped online and you just caught this message and you don't know what else to do, can I tell you what I think you should do? What David thinks you should do? What Mary thinks you should do? Just lean in. Look up. And reach out. Lean in. Look up. And reach out. And this is the exact opposite probably of what you feel like doing right now. But it's reaching out to a God that's got the whole world in his hands. He's got your world in his hands. And I'd love to give you a prayer to pray today if you feel like you're in the middle of broken dreams and heartache. Because you can panic and make some terrible decisions right now and make your matters worse. Or you can lean into a God that loves you. And here's a simple prayer that I'd encourage you to consider today. Heavenly Father, I offer my dreams and my plans to you. Because I've got some, God. I expected some things to be happening at this stage in my life or how already have happened. And I'm offering them to you because I can't make them happen anymore. I've tried. Do to me whatever seems good to you. I acknowledge your right to rule. You are the king of the universe. You are Lord. You are God. And you love me. So I acknowledge your right to rule even my life. Your will be done in me. Let me just read that again to you. Heavenly Father, I offer my dreams and my plans. Do to me whatever seems good to you. I acknowledge your right to rule. Your will be done in me because you care God because you gave Jesus on the cross for me an unimaginable act of love because I am your son I am your daughter you've been thinking about me for all of eternity I'm acknowledging your right to rule in my life and that's a prayer you can say every day of your life but that's a prayer you can especially pray when your dreams aren't coming true your plans aren't happening and there's heartache and there's loss of relationships and hopes and loved ones in our lives God you're right to rule whatever seems best I'm offering myself to you now listen if you're a follower of Jesus this is what we do if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here and you're trying to figure this out this is a life that leads us to peace and away from bitterness, and away from worse mistakes. It's a life that leads us into eternity. And I think this is the life that God is offering to you. And if you're in the middle of heartbreak, I want you to just know simply two things. You're not broken past repair. And God still has a purpose for you. Because He loves you with all that He is. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that we get to look back through the pages of history and see men and women that were able to hang on to you and find hope and life in you and you alone. And Lord, I cannot imagine the heartbreak that might be in this room or online or even around the world today. I just pray we would turn to you. 
that we would trust you as the Lord of our lives for everything we do and help us not to make our lives more complicated, but to simplify them by trusting what you say and where you lead. And thank you for Jesus that proclaimed louder than anything has ever proclaimed that we are loved by our Heavenly Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray.